0: hey gods mortals and fiendish villains we
1: have two announcements we have merch available for all of you guys designed by jamie harrison it's amazing we have a ton of cool designs and they make great gifts for you a friend or someone in your family we
0: have everything from our traditional logo to a Pulp Fiction option, even one that we've lovingly named Pastel Goth. So if you wanna check them out, just head on over to our website and click the Merch tab. We also have a new Patreon tier. It's available for one month only, just until the new year, it's $50. And you can send your D&D character sheet and any descriptions that you have to me and Tracy. And I will write you a story introducing
1: your character into the adventure of their dreams. And I will draw custom art of your character based on your sheet and any information you sent us. And the best part is you can then take that character and put them in the middle of our battle royale. We're so excited. We're going to host a battle royale
0: with everyone who joins the limited tier. There are only 10 slots available. It's a great gift for your DM or anyone in your party who's looking for a DD and d themed gift. But it can also be a great gift for yourself. 2020 has put me in a little bit of a treat yourself mood. So <laughs> <Me too. laughs> if you're there with us, check out our new Patreon tier. And as always, we hope you enjoy the episode. Before we get into our subject, we want to say right off the top, this episode is not for children. If you're sitting there, child nearby, thinking, it's okay, little Billy has heard curse words before, this is not that. Do not make (laughs) us complicit in a childhood ruining moment. Look at the description of the episode if you're not catching on. And we're going to give you a moment to stop the podcast, and you can come back later. Tracy, hi, how are you?
1: Hi, Rowan. I am so good because I just ate a Dairy Queen Blizzard. (gasps) Mm -hmm.
0: Honestly, I think that reaction was too large. But if you take (laughs) into account the fact that I haven't had one in, oh, I don't know, half a decade. Yeah. (sighs) What do you put in it?
1: I do just M&M's. Oh.
0: Okay, for anyone who doesn't know, a Dairy Queen blizzard is like a concrete. It's it's a milkshake that's very thick that has the candies of your choosing in it, and you could turn it upside down, and it would not fall out. Mm-hmm. I
1: love I love the, the M&M's in it because you get that nice crunch.
0: I think I used to do Reese's Peanut Butter
1: Cups, not the pieces.
0: Very strong. And Heath. I know Heath is an unexpected choice, but it's a strong one. (laughs) It is a bold decision that I will grant you. (laughs) I'm impressed that you went for a cold, yummy thing
1: in a cold winter month. I just was sitting. Tim made us dinner, as he pretty much always does. And it was a really yummy udon soup. Mm. And then I was sitting there and I was like, I just want something sweet and cold. So we got Dairy Queen Blizzard's. That sounds awesome. I
0: I just found out that Starbucks hot chocolate is dairy-free if you make it with the dairy-free milk. Oh. I know, and I, you know, I don't have an excuse to go to a Starbucks at the moment, but mm-hmm. the absolute second that I do, I am going to pay too much money f- for a human to make me hot cocoa.
1: Every time I go out now, which is so seldom, I use it as an excuse to treat myself and get something delicious somewhere, usually at like a Starbucks or a coffee shop.
0: Well, you don't know this yet. I guess I'm telling you now, but I'm going to foist myself upon you and uh, try to convince you to concoct a holiday typed consumption item with me a drink perhaps or or a snack or a cookie or a
1: a body scrub I don't know. <laughs> I think it's going to be dealer's choice, whatever you want. whatever you want. Yes, all of the above. Okay, all right, all of the above. That's a tall order, but I think we can make it work.
0: <laughs> you don't understand. I'm coming to town, not unlike Santa Claus, and I'm just going to camp out at your house. Do I live at your house normally? Absolutely not. Do I now? Yes. Am I going to be a house elf? Only the poltergeist version.
1: <laughs> no, but I'm going to feed you... Cookies, and then you'll be the non poltergeist version.
0: Right. And you have to figure out if I want a tiny cloak or I want no
1: tiny cloak. (laughs) I know you. You want no tiny cloak, you want to run around.
0: Oh, goodness me. <laughs> Hi, I am Rowan Hall. And I am Tracy Harrison. And this is the Willing and Fable podcast, a podcast where we talk about ancient myths, local legends, and why stories have staying power. <laughs> and this, our dear, loving listeners, is our last episode of the year.
1: hmm We did it. We? Episode 30, end of season one. Final episode of the year. We're tying it all up with a neat little bow. I feel
0: compelled to write in a plot twist that goes directly against character and makes the audience gasp so that they leave the season offended and have to come back for
1: more. But I do not know what that would be. I think that would be you telling an extremely happy, wholesome story. And me telling an extremely dark and sad story.
0: Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So we might have done that.
1: No, mine's not that sad. You had an opportunity, my dear. I know. Listen, I could do a whole improv thing of like making up a story on the fly and making it really dark. But you know what? It would be too unrealistic if both of us jumped the shark and went totally off the books and out of character. Was that too many TV metaphors? I love you for saying jump the shark.
0: (laughs) I told my friends what I'm doing this week for my story and what you're doing. And every single one of them went, that seems flipped. That seems reverse of what you guys
1: are supposed to do. (laughs) And we picked it immediately. There was no debate. You knew you wanted to do yours and I wanted to do mine.
0: Yeah, no, this was one of the few stories that I was like fisty cuffs, let's go. If you want this, you're going to have to ask really nicely with puppy dog eyes or I'm not going to cave.
1: <laughs> it was not necessary. The last thing we want to remind you all before we move on to the telling you what the episode is about is to remind you all about our 1 month only Patreon tier. Mm-hmm, I'm so excited. <laughs> it is uh, available just for this month. It is a $50 tier where we made it D&D themed. So Rowan will write you a story giving you the fantasy book introduction of your dreams. I will do character art for you. And then, if you so choose, you can participate in our battle royale in the new year. Listen, I love a battle royale and
0: I just lost very badly in a battle royale. Mm. So what I'm hearing
1: is that it's redemption time.
0: Yeah, this is my redemption arc, so y'all better make your
1: characters <laughs> real strong. It's either your redemption arc or your final most devastating arc is the villain.
0: I think I am the villain, so I guess this is my my dramatic end. All right, friends, make your seventh level character to dramatically end me. Tracy, mm. you can triumph. I'll uh, I'll fall on the sword so
1: you can live a long, happy life. Oh, bold of you to assume I'm not going to go down with you swinging, swinging right beside you. You're right. I'm petty until the end.
0: (laughs) I'll bring you (laughs) with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, friends. This is the adults only portion of the podcast.
1: So hey, all you adults. Thanks for sticking around for our last episode. And hey, Rowan. Guess what? What? It's
0: winter! It is winter. And this winter, mostly thanks to Tracy's very good planning, we have featured stories from around the cold, snowy, northern parts of the world. Following that same theme, we thought it might be fun to explore the origins and versions of that red-capped, gift-delivering fellow who is a holiday figure for some and a familiar winter decoration for others.
1: In today's episode, we're covering the naughty and nice versions of Santa stories. Across the United States, even before November ends, songs of Santa Claus come into town, fills radio stations, lights decorate trees, and some children begin requesting gifts from jolly old Saint Nick this folkloric figure is pretty hard to completely avoid even for those who don't celebrate the christmas holiday and even those who do don't know all of the interesting history about his origins
0: we think wikipedia succinctly sums up the figure of santa claus for anyone who is unfamiliar Quote, "...Santa Claus, also known as Father Christmas, St. Nicholas, St. Nick, Chris Kringle, or simply Santa, is a legendary character originating in certain Christian culture who is said to bring gifts to the homes of well-behaved children on the night of Christmas Eve, the 24th of December, or during the early morning hours of Christmas Day, the 25th of December, and coal to naughty kids." The modern character of Santa Claus was based on traditions surrounding the historical Saint Nicholas, a 4th century Greek bishop and gift giver of Myria, the British figure of Father Christmas, and the Dutch figure of Sinterklaas, himself also based on Saint Nicholas. Some maintain Santa Claus also absorbed elements of the Germanic deity Woden— who was associated with the pagan midwinter event of Yule and led the wild hunt, a ghostly procession, through the sky.
1: The article goes further to say, In modern folklore, Santa Claus is said to make lists of children throughout the world. He categorizes them according to their behavior. He then sets out to deliver presents, including toys and candy, to all of the well-behaved children in the world. Misbehaving children receive coal on the nights of Christmas Eve. Santa Claus is said to accomplish this feat with the aid of his elves, who make the toys in his workshop at the North Pole. Santa Claus's flying reindeer are also said to provide assistance with pulling his sleigh. He is commonly portrayed as living in the North Pole and laughing in a way that sounds like ho, ho, ho. I'm going to need you to do that Santa Claus laugh one
0: more time, my dear. Oh,
1: after you, my love. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho,
0: ho. A friend of mine, (laughs) his niece, when she was very, very young, she tried to do ho, ho, ho. And she would go ho, ho, ho. Kind of like a villain. (laughs) So the whole family does the Santa laugh that way.
1: Oh, um, that's that's incredible. (laughs) Ho, ho, ho.
0: (laughs) So now that you know the basics of this modern figure and how the heck he laughs, (laughs) let's talk about the naughty and nice side of this famous mythology. Tracy, I Immediately, at the beginning of our season planning, said, I am doing the origins of Santa Claus and you can't stop me. And you said, okay, that's perfectly fine. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) In my family's celebration of Christmas, it is not one of the Christian high holidays, but rather an adaptation of Yule or the winter solstice and an opportunity to celebrate the love among family and friends. Throughout the month of December, we read a chapter each night from a book called The Life and Adventures of Santa Claus. Every member of my family has a copy in their home, ever since it was given to my grandfather when he was a child. Taking place in an unnamed village on the shore of the Baltic Sea, Nicholas is an orphan boy who becomes Saint Nicholas because he spends his life doing good wood-carving gifts, and caring for the children of his close-knit village. Santa Claus is what comes of the title when a baby can't pronounce it. The book explores numerous themes of integrity, bravery, kindness, and even references the pagan origins of many Christmas traditions. Not unlike all of the holidays of the world, this is one example of the way a family might mix their own practice with the larger culture of where they come from and where they live. So to start us off, I'm going to read the opening of the book, because I think it sets a very wonderful mood for the story I'm about to tell of the origins of Santa Claus. Tracy, have you ever gotten roped into this family tradition
1: of mine? No, I was just sitting here shocked that I haven't. But I can also tell all of you that Rowan's family throws the best holiday party every year without fail. We do. Well, of course not this year. But we
0: have a party every year on the second Saturday in December ever since my parents were, I think, teenagers. And it's how we get our Christmas tree decorated. We put the ornaments out in bowls everywhere and everyone has to hang one on the tree. And my parents make a very lovely Christmas cocktail and there's just so much food. Mm -hmm. And when we were little, we used to hide (laughs) so that our parents wouldn't (laughs) take us home. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good time. I like
1: it as an adult, though, I think more. Well, yeah, because it's... As a kid, we would hide... But it was also like, oh, there's so many adults around. And, like, that was a lot for little kids when all you wanted to do is run around and be crazy. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, you're like, oh, I can just enjoy the cocktail and chat with people. And your parents have the coolest friends. So now that we're older and we can actually understand what they do and all the cool stuff they're talking about, it's more fun. Yeah. We both celebrate
0: versions of Christmas. And neither of us have really been around for each other's like christmas yeah, day yeah because
1: no not for christmas day and and my extended family also on the second saturday of the year typically has a holiday party so it's it's mm-hmm. i on the second saturday or the second sunday so it's it's been for as long as i've known you extremely hit or miss when mm-hmm. i can go to your family holiday parties but we've never done christmas day together that's definitely a very for my family a very tight-knit thing. Although for my family, Titan Inn is still like 14 people.
0: Yeah, you have such a huge family and my parents don't do a very traditional Christmas at all. So that's not that's not really a thing. You don't see other families at Christmas. the way, No,
1: except for mine, who my sister's in-laws do have Christmas dinner with us every year. So anyway, let's hear this opening to your story. All right. Draw close to the fire, all you who believe,
0: in the spirit of Christmas, whether you call it Santa Claus or simply goodwill to men, and listen to the story of Nicholas the Woodcarver, a lover of little children. Follow him through his first years as a lonely little boy who had a knack of carving playthings for children, then as a young man busy over the little toys, then as a prosperous, fat, rosy old man who overcomes all sorts of difficulties in order to attain his ambition, a toy for every child in the village. Learn how he started to drive a beautiful sleigh drawn by prancing reindeer, why he first came down the chimney, how he filled the first stocking, where the first Christmas tree was decorated, and finally, how he came to be known as Saint Nicholas and Santa Claus. I have read that opening so many times, I could recite it
1: word for word. (laughs) (laughs) But there is something so special about that, when it just means so much, and you're so familiar with it, and it becomes so comforting.
0: Yeah, it's a a cool story. It gives uh, a reason for every single Christmas tradition, and since my family is in no way tied to the Christian version of Christmas, it's particularly fun. Yeah. So, Santa Claus, who the heck is he? To quote Coca-Cola's own website, as they are the brand that sort of owns the guy in red, Mm -hmm. for the second time in your life, you're going to need to forget everything you think you know about Santa Claus. While the first big revelation all those years ago may have been fraught with disappointment— The true history of how the big, jolly man in the red suit came to be is completely fascinating and filled with the quirky enchantment we've come to expect from Christmas. In the story we're about to tell you, the legend of Santa spans multiple continents, assumes many different identities, gets hijacked by the first settlers in colonial America, takes a trip through the Civil War, and gets a makeover from a New York advertising firm. Thanks to the best-known soft drink in the world. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to include that because... Is a soft drink company responsible for the existence of Santa Claus? Absolutely not. Will America turn anything into capitalism? We absolutely will.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
0: So, so to add aside, St. Nicholas might not be who you think he is. To quote the History Channel, "...the legend of Santa Claus can be traced back hundreds of years to a monk named St. Nicholas." It is believed that Nicholas was born sometime around 200 AD in Patara, near Myria in modern-day Turkey. Much admired for his piety and kindness, St. Nicholas became the subject of many legends. It is said that he gave away all of his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor and sick. In one story... Three young women could not be married because their poor father did not have dowries for them, or the money a woman's father paid to the bridegroom as part of a marriage agreement. St. Nick dropped a bag of gold into their home through the chimney so that the first girl could wed, and it is said to have fallen into a stocking that was set to dry by the fire overnight." This practice continued on until each woman was wed, as a means of keeping her from sex work. Though the stalking element is likely part of the story that has grown in modern times, that is certainly a famous tale. The quote from the History Channel continues on to say, Over the course of many years, Nicholas's popularity spread, and he became known as the protector of children and sailors. His feast day is celebrated on the anniversary of his death, December 6th. This was traditionally considered a lucky day to make large purchases or to get married. By the Renaissance, St. Nicholas was the most popular saint in Europe. Even after the Protestant Reformation, when the veneration of saints began to be discouraged, St. Nicholas maintained a positive reputation, especially in Holland. People loved this saint so much that his bones were moved more than once so that mm. everyone could still have access to him as part of their pilgrimages. Wow. Mm-hmm. Why, why sailors were included in that, I do not know, but it's interesting.
1: Yeah, the sailors I can't I can't pinpoint, but it's pretty much everything else you can see. The seeds of what he's going to become today.
0: It's funny to me that December 6th did not become a Black Friday, (laughs) since it was a lucky day to make large purchases. Yeah. But there can only be so much shopping in one month. (laughs) Alright, so the belief in St. Nicholas spread across Europe, but where does the name Santa Claus come from? In New York, when our country was very much newer than it is today, two 1773 and 1774 newspapers printed that groups of Dutch families were honoring the anniversary of St. Nick's death. The name of Santa Claus came from the Dutch nickname Sinterklaas, a shortened form of Sint-Niklas, Dutch for Saint Nicholas. While the figure once wore a very unfamiliar blue three-cornered hat, artists like Washington Irving helped to solidify his place in history today. In 1809, Irving called St. Nick the patron saint of New York in his book, The History of New York.
1: Okay, all right. Getting popular, getting even more popular already. I'm seeing it. Is there a piece of early
0: American folklore from Europe that Washington Irving didn't define? (laughs) I doubt it. (laughs) The jury's still
1: out. Yeah, we haven't found it, so.
0: Not long after Irving got involved, around 1820, stores caught on to the usefulness of advertising Christmas shopping. By the 1840s, newspapers had specific sections for holiday ads, and in 1841, our very own Philadelphia hosted hundreds of children who came to see a life-size model of the jolly gift-giving elf. This entreated stores to host live Santas, and the Salvation Army even got some skin in the game in the early 1890s when they began dressing unemployed men as Santa to solicit donations to pay for the free Christmas meals they gave away. And if you're wondering what this department store Santa rigmarole looks like check out the 1947 film Miracle on 34th Street. It is one of the most famous depictions of a child interacting with Santa
1: in a store. Yep, I watched that movie in high school in our drama class. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is funny. I
0: didn't take that drama class. I for some reason couldn't get it into my schedule. I don't know what class I was supposed to have at that time, but I was always there. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Santa. It was in the beginning of all of this excitement that perhaps the most famous piece of St. Nick literature was born. History Channel reports, quote, in 1822, Clement Clark Moore, an Episcopal minister, wrote a long Christmas poem for his three daughters entitled An Account of a Visit from St. Nicholas, more popularly known as Twas the Night Before Christmas. Moore's poem, which he was initially hesitant to publish due to the frivolous nature of its subject, is largely responsible for our modern image of Santa Claus as a, quote, right jolly old elf with a portly figure and the supernatural ability to ascend a chimney with a mere nod of his head. Although some of Moore's imagery was probably borrowed from other sources, his poem helped popularize the now familiar image of a Santa Claus who flew from house to house on Christmas Eve in a, quote, miniature sleigh led by eight flying reindeer. To leave presents for deserving children. An account of a visit from St. Nicholas created a new and immediately popular American icon. Isn't it crazy to think that that poem was more of the beginning
1: than the later on? Yes, I was just going to say that. I am kind of shocked to learn that poem is what spurred him on to fame and not a result of it
0: during the 1800s there were a lot of things going on coalescing to make santa claus an increasingly popular figure and i just assumed i guess because my childhood is not that far away from me that santa claus always was gosh darn it <laughs> Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and because you think of the 1800s As that classic Christmas time. It feels like everything Christmas takes place in the Victorian era.
0: Oh, absolutely. Scrooge is being a miser. You know, Santa Claus is all ruffled up and
1: delivering presents. There's figgy pudding everywhere. There's ghost stories. Ghost stories. There's sleigh rides. It's all happening. It's all Victorian. So it feels like Santa should have been famously popular for so long at that point. And he was only just becoming.
0: And I get the sales elements that made him more prominent. And I do understand why parents would give that to their children. Mm -hmm. But I really can't put my finger on the underlying element that allowed all of, at least America, To basically decide, we're not telling the kids. This guy delivers presents. Those are the rules. Don't mess this up for
1: us. Yeah, it just sort of happened, it seems like.
0: (laughs) Not unlike my friend Jack Frost, Thomas Nast was a huge part of defining this jolly man's appearance. In an 1863 political cartoon, also for Harper's Weekly... Nast depicted Santa Claus as a happy, bearded, and rotund man delivering presents to the Union soldiers during the Civil War. Ooh. Historian James I. Robertson said, The drawing boosted the spirits of soldiers and civilians alike because it showed that the spirit of Christmas had come to the Civil War.
1: Not an image I expected. Santa... And the Civil War.
0: Shocking, really. And the fact that it was a Union comic is kind of what makes it only a little bit passably friendly. It's it's weird. It's weird to think about these things. It's so weird. It was weird when it was Jack Frost, but it was a little less weird because, you know, he... He's winter. He's the cold. And it's war. Yeah. And this is... War during winter being brutal and people dying and a political comic going, but Santa. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you. I hear you. But Santa. This is going to blow your mind even more. In that first drawing, Santa Claus wore a star spangled suit that made him look more
1: like Uncle Sam. My God. I want to find this drawing so bad. It it
0: still exists. It's very available. It is star-spangled kind of
1: Santa giving presents to soldiers. (laughs) That sounds like something they would make in the 40s, like the 1940s.
0: Yeah. So Thomas Nast drew Santa Claus for Harper's Weekly for 40 years after that original comic. And for a while, he was still tweaking the imagery. Uh, He went through a period of wearing a green suit. But eventually, he did settle on the red suit. And this happened around 1881, arguably the most famous depiction of Santa Claus that was the beginning of future adaptations. This man is truly round and by round i mean he is a circle (laughs) and he's holding presents he's got holly in his hat rosy Mm -hmm. cheeks and he's smoking a pipe so while some credit coca-cola for santa's red suit this is absolutely not true despite the excellent marketing tie-in but The Beverage Company is very invested in this folk hero. To quote their website, The ads used images of a man dressed as Santa, not dissimilar in appearance to the Santa Claus in Thomas Nast's depiction from the mid-1800s. This Santa was usually depicted outside the world's largest soda fountain or visiting high-profile department stores. And things stayed that way up until the 1930s. Christmas advertising had become a powerful part of Coca-Cola's business operations. In 1931, the company commissioned the services of Darcy Advertising Agency and Michigan-born artist Haddon Sundblom to create a campaign featuring a more wholesome and approachable Santa Claus, something that captured the true essence of Santa himself and wasn't just a man dressed up in a costume. For his inspiration, Haddon turned to Clements' the night before Christmas. From 1931 to 1964, Coca-Cola advertising showed Santa delivering toys and playing with them, pausing to read a letter and enjoy a Coke, visiting with the children who stayed up to greet him and raiding the refrigerators at a number of homes. Haddon's Santa appeared regularly in the Saturday Evening Post as well as in the Ladies' Home Journal, National Geographic, The New Yorker, and more. People paid such close attention to the Coca-Cola Santa images that when anything changed, they sent letters to the Coca-Cola company. One year, Santa's large belt was backwards, perhaps because Haddon was painting via a mirror. He used himself as a model. Another year, Santa Claus appeared without a wedding ring, causing fans to write, asking what happened to Mrs. Claus.
1: Oh my god, that's so funny. It's bananas! I'm shocked at the idea that the original depiction was just a man dressed as Santa. Right. And then it shifted and they're like, no, now it's actually Santa.
0: I wanted to include this specifically because Christmas in the United States is impossible to link from consumption and purchasing and shopping extravagantly. Mhm. But it goes further than that. It ex- it exists because of sales. It exists because people want to sell the idea of Christmas and thus the idea of Christmas became what it is today.
1: Mhm. I mean, think of the Hallmark movies alone.
0: My favorite, my favorite Christmas commercial, and I—it it is a, a Coca-Cola Christmas commercial. Mm-hmm. i It was from my parents' childhood, so I've had to find it on YouTube. But it is of a grandfather taking his grandson to Rockefeller Square with an acorn. And they plant an acorn in this big planter. And he goes, okay, we're gonna come back at Christmas and it's gonna be a tree. And they come back at Christmas and it's the quintessential New York famous Christmas tree. And the grandson is like, Grandpa, Christmas. (laughs) Every time I see it, it makes me cry. Oh,
1: I wanna find that commercial because it sounds so familiar. I think I've seen it before or maybe they've reproduced it or recreated it or something. It is just so quintessentially
0: Christmas marketing. It is, Mm -hmm. it hits right in that pocket.
1: I'm not going to lie to you, Rowan. I watched three, I was going to say three Hallmark movies. They're all Netflix. I watched A Christmas Prince, A Christmas Prince, A Royal Wedding, and A Christmas Prince, The Royal Baby. Oh my God, what? Mm Mm-hmm. Watched all of them. Watched all of them last week. I'm a sucker. I'm here for it. It's 2020, and I want those Christmas feelings. I want to watch a commercial of a grandpa planting a seed so that when he brings the kid back, he's going to think that the Rockefeller tree is the tree they planted. I love that energy for this right now.
0: Yeah. uh, Love, actually, is my quintessential Christmas movie. People can be crummy about it all they want, but I live and die by that movie. Oh, me too. You know it's my jam. (laughs) It's the one Mm -hmm. for me. But, yeah, just that whole Christmas energy. It... It exists because of the Coca-Cola Cup. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Boy, do I wish this episode was sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that especially because everyone who listens to our podcast absolutely knows that my family puts out rum and Cokes for Santa Claus. Yes, they do.
1: And you and I both stand Coca-Cola over Pepsi.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh... I've quit talking to people because of Pepsi. Coca-Cola, America's drink. (laughs) While the United States might be the most famous for selling the imagery and consequently the feelings that Santa inspires, this is only one version of the gift giver that came from Saint Nick of Patara. There's the English tale of Father Christmas... Père Noël in France, Christkind or Kris Kringle in Switzerland and Germany, Joltemten in Scandinavia, even two gift-giving women, Babushka in Russia and La Bafana in Italy, sometimes join the fun. Babushka! Yeah, there's brooms in those versions of those stories. There's flying around there. There's hag energy, which you know we love. (laughs) Crowd (laughs) hag. The story of Christmas in all of its variations is certainly not universal, but it does seem that many cultures around the world, including capitalism, understand the fun that comes from caring for and giving gifts to children. Are you ready for a story? I am so ready for a story. All right. Buckle up. It's going to be wholesome, y'all. Santa Claus lives in a small, run-down American town. I know what you're saying. No, he doesn't. He lives in the North Pole, surrounded by elves and reindeer, and his home is marked by an unnaturally large candy cane stomped into the snow, where his wife waits for him at the end of each day with a large, piping hot mug of cocoa. Well... You listen here, you son of a nutcracker, because I'm only going to say this once. I am Christmas spirit come to you in the form of your festive, omniscient narrator, so you'd better stuff your stocking because I will kick your sugar plums straight to the naughty list if you question me again. So, Santa Claus himself lives in a beat-up town in America. But No. I will not tell you where as the big man needs his privacy and it's best that the kitties don't know. And by the way, he's an old widowed war vet named Richard, not Nicholas. His closest friends mostly passed away, rest their souls, call him Dick, but you don't know him yet, so that'll be rich to you. Mhm, before you fuss, just sit tight and listen to the story. Grab your eggnog. This is what the holiday is about. Each year, in the month leading up to Christmas, the local, nearly empty, mall of this town hosts the man of the hour, Santa Claus himself, so that all the local boys, girls, and various children may sit upon his lap, plead their case to appear on the nice list, and make their gift requests. He's surrounded by a gaggle of overworked elves that look suspiciously like the zit-covered teenagers from the nearby high school. And the parents pay far too much money for staged pictures in a Christmas-themed hut that spends most of the year in a storage facility that definitely has a spider problem. Children cry while they stand in line, parents tweak their backs shifting the wee ones from hip to hip while they wait, and it all seems like an absolute capitalistic waste of time until it's their turn. If you've ever seen a child meet their hero, you'll understand exactly what I'm about to describe. When placed in the much-worn, velveteen lap of our mall Santa, little Shanae or tiny Xander's eyes will grow as wide as saucers, and all the horrors of raising a tiny human will melt away from the nearby parents as the warm glow of true belief falls upon the scene. I'm not kidding. And it's not the awful fluorescence of the mall lighting that does it. There is an actual, visible sparkle of magic when a child looks upon this old man in an older costume and tells him what they want for Christmas. In a reverent voice, young Lauren will politely ask for a science kit or a ukulele, and Mr. Claus will write down her request in beautiful script on a very, very very long piece of parchment. Then, a picture is snapped, Santa smiling, and the child awestruck, and the family is off to do their snacking, or shopping, or whatever it is people do when the joy of the holidays clings to their very souls. But that isn't the best part. You see, Some years ago, our mall Santa got into the habit of lingering by the bus stop near the mall, long after closing. A mall Santa cannot live in the same town as the children he serves, or the illusion is somewhat destroyed by the appearance of a white-bearded man at the grocery store or the dentist's office. And while it might be possible for the man to dress exclusively in red year-round, Truth be told, the beard itched Richard horribly, and he didn't devote much of his meager retirement funds to clothing. As a former Marine, he still sort of stuck to a uniform when he could. Flannel and worn jeans each day suited him just fine. Each night, Richard would sit at the bus stop, smoking a tobacco pipe that smelled suspiciously like Christmas cheer, Waiting for the parents of that evening's child visitors to swing by to get the list. That's the funny thing about children. They don't always tell their parents what they want for Christmas and only whisper it to the famed deliverer himself, so he'd learned a trick to help everyone out. Most of the parents were once local munchkins who waited in line themselves, so Richard, Santa Claus costume now doffed, knew them all by name. He would smile and laugh with them, asking about the kids and how they were growing, or if business was good, perhaps the state of last year's Christmas puppy. Sometimes a thoughtful mother or father would come back in the evening with a hot mug of coffee for their friend, and there were always plates upon plates of cookies. Rich especially liked the misshapen ones clearly decorated by an enthusiastic child. Every adult in this small slice of Americana greatly appreciated the work of their mall Santa, and a few snacks was the least they could do. After he waited for as long as the bus schedule would allow... Richard would slowly ease himself from the hard bench, board the bus, and travel the 45 minutes back home. Rich was retired and had grown quite good at filling his days with books upon books, the care of his old mutt, and a small garden he diligently moved inside during the colder months. He lived in a particularly run-down area in an especially run-down house— But he kept it as best as his old bones would allow, and he'd happily pay a passing teen to shovel his front walk when the snow was too deep. In the days leading up to Christmas, however, he was always very busy. Knowing the families of his Santa ward intimately, Richard had a habit of writing some of the children's requests on his own special list. Every year, there was someone who could use a little Christmas magic. Little Grace Wilson was now a mother herself and struggling through radiation, so there was no reason to have her running about from store to store hunting for gifts. And Carlos Perez was taking care of his sweet mother and a new baby. It would be good for him to have one less thing in his overcrowded schedule. Dressed in his civilian clothes, Richard would take the bus all over his own town, pick up a few holiday gifts, wrap them up in a particularly shiny paper, sign them from Santa Claus, and save them for the big night. It was a long slog on Christmas Eve. It was somehow always snowing into the wee hours, so Richard donned his old threadbare car heart, A sturdy workman's coat. Yes, Santa is aware that red is impractical for sneaking. And he had to carry very heavy presents from the bus stop to their given homes in more than a few trash bags. Occasionally, one would rip, or a local dog would alert everyone in the entire state that someone was out at night. But for the most part, there was some fun to it that special sparkling glow of real magic. He would leave the presents on the doorstep, or somewhere they were most protected, and move from one house to the next until it was time to catch the bus home again. Though the task made him ache for days after, Richard's joy filled every bit of him to the bone. He was a vet, and had seen quite a lot in his life and loved very well. But this was the thing that the man believed he was put on this earth to do. Just give everyone a little bit of Christmas joy during the times it felt most difficult to come by. During this particular year that our story begins, one young mother up late nursing, saw the local santa marching through the snow. Her name was Maria, and though she knew Richard as the mall santa from her youth, this was her first year as a mother, and she had no idea that this secret adult world of helpful lists and Christmas spirit existed. And she cried for a long time when she found a very simple, sturdy stroller wrapped up on her stoop the next morning. The reality of that Christmas Eve stuck with her all year. She'd taken to talking about the man, whose name she learned through some investigating, at every chance another parent would allow. They all shared stories of their own childhood visits with him, or adult shocks when they found a present for their little one at the door. As a bus rider herself, she saw him sitting in the back, clean shaven, and smiling at a book. During the non winter months, she learned that he was always happy but tired, and he had a particular limp that made the stairs to the bus very difficult. As the cold crept into the town's air and winter began to fall over the world in time for the next Christmas, Maria came up with an idea. She had to get a job as a mall elf to do it, but she was blazing with the kind fire of a yule log and so was bound and determined While the children whispered their Christmas wishes to their beloved Santa Claus, Maria would come and whisper her plan to the parents who relied on him for his important lists. Thank goodness kids are always distracted by mythic figures, and Santa is always distracted by children, because unlike anything else in this entire world ever was, The plan went off without a hitch. I like to think their Christmas spirit had something to do with it. In this particular town, at this particular mall, Santa worked until the very last available moments of Christmas Eve, which made for a very, very long and difficult night when combined with his selfless adventure to have cared for and known at least two generations. He was beginning to get quite up there in years. So Richard was quietly wondering to himself how much longer he would be able to keep this Christmas delivery up when he rounded the midnight corner of a familiar cul-de-sac. There, at the end of the street, was a group of parents gathered around a bright red pickup truck the truck wasn't anything special really it had seen a few hundred thousand miles and more than a few bumps in the road but it was shining like the star of bethlehem itself they'd polished it so well Maria came forward right away, walking quickly but trying not to jostle awake the bundled-up baby strapped to her chest. She smiled. It's no sleigh with reindeer. Richard was beaming from ear to ear under his bright white beard and couldn't figure out what to say while the young mother led him forward to join the rest of the group. Each one of the parents had something exciting to tell him about how they'd put a new radio in the old truck, or how a few of them had worked on the engine together. They were just like the giddy children who'd once sat on his lap, and he felt just like a young boy getting the race car of his dreams on Christmas morning. Maria couldn't stop grinning with joy. They'd all pulled together what little they had, and a whole lot of elbow grease, to get that very good man a beat-up old truck to get him around. All their enthusiasm and laughter sounded just like a real, true, loving thank you and I can promise you that it wasn't those blinking streetlights that cast the scene in a warm, sparkling glow. Merry Christmas, Richard. Maria hugged him, her new baby between their bodies and the rest of the group joining in the chorus of holiday cheer. If you've ever seen an ordinary man who's been told he's a hero you'll understand exactly what I have no words to truly describe. Richard, all happy tears and laughter and hugs and yes, aching bones, loaded up the remaining bags of presents, climbed into the bright red truck the parents of his small Santa parish gave him on Christmas Eve, And he was, as much as anyone ever has been, Santa Claus.
1: You did it! (laughs) You told such a wholesome story. Although I have to point out, you did start it out with veiled threats. So, (laughs) came in hot with the Rowan energy, but that was (laughs) so wholesome. Okay, listen. (laughs) I'm...
0: I'm still me. Right. <laughs> also, I like the idea of Christmas spirit being a salty entity.
1: <laughs> Sugar and spice and all that jazz. Yeah. I like
0: uh, I like the average, everyday Santa. That's, that's always how I've seen Santa Claus. It's part of my upbringing, I think. That's what I was taught about Christmas. So... Uh, yeah, my Santa Claus had to just be a really good person.
1: Yeah, just a really good really good guy who is so selfless.
0: Yeah, it's it's about it's about what you can
1: give. In my headcanon, Maria takes over for him.
0: Oh, absolutely. Mhm. 100%. <laughs> this is also a bit of a modern take on the life and adventures of santa claus that i was brought up with mm-hmm. uh the story isn't exactly the same but he is an everyday man who devotes his life to being selfless and when he passes a young woman does take oh, up the mantle oh, i love that yeah so i i I couldn't give everybody the whole 300-page book I was brought up with, but I thought it would be fun to pass along kind of the idea. Yeah. Also, how fun is Santa Claus in a Carhartt coat and a pickup truck? Oh, so good. Oh, my God. With the trash
1: (laughs) bags instead of the sack of presents. Like, ugh. That's the energy I want for my Santa. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right, Trace. I did
1: did the wholesome side. Mm Mm-hmm. I did the nice. What have you got for us? All right. I've got the naughty in our naughty and nice. I'm going to be telling you all about Krampus. (laughs) (laughs) So before I get into the history, I'm going to start with my story, which is called Gruss vom Krampus, which means greetings from Krampus. It comes from a very famous Victorian Christmas card that depicts (laughs) Krampus shoving kids into a sack. And it says (gasps) Gruss vom Krampus. (laughs) <laughs> Would you say that
0: Krampus's
1: laugh is the ho? Oh, ho, absolutely. Ho. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to spoil what I was going to be doing for my story, but yes, he is that ho, ho,
0: ho. <laughs> <laughs> you guys couldn't see Tracy's eyebrows, but they were really, really doing it.
1: You'll see. Krampus isn't, he's not just evil for the sake of evil. He's actually like the bad cop to Santa's good cop. Okay. We'll get into it. I love Krampus. My story is sort of... I wrote it as if this was a children's book telling you about Krampus. hmm The winter winds are blowing, while outside it is snowing, and children are filled with bright cheer. Happy tunes they are humming, for presents are coming if they have been good kids all year. Boys and girls and friends quite dear... Gather round the fire here, for I've a tale to share with you. It's a story quite old, with a creature who's bold. It's the tale of what Krampus might do. This story has a nice start, but beware all you faint of heart, of the creature that comes lurking by. He's mean and he's scary, he's tall, thin, and hairy, with a mischievous glint in his eye. St. Nick is your friend when your chores you attend and your parents you respect and love. But a darkness approaches as it slinks and encroaches, and like Santa, he comes from above. He's dark and he's mean, but he seldom is seen except by a naughty wee one. With his long, lolling tongue, he frightens the young and chases them all while they run. With his hooves, horns, and all, he slinks through the hall as he's looking for someone to take. For he too has a sack, but its presence he'll lack when he finds you in bed still awake. Gross vom Krampus he'll say, oh, quite brightly, to the children who'll scream, oh, quite rightly, who'll yank blankets right over their heads. His cheery greeting that night will give children a fright as they shiver in fear in their beds. Will he chase us about, they will think, as deep into their beds they will sink, their fear turning into alarm? Will he drag us away into hell where we'll stay, where the devil will do us some harm? But it's only a warning this year to remind children who they should fear that the creature is always around. But St. Nick will be coming in soon, and he'll bring a nice gift and a tune, so keep an ear out for that lovely sound. So listen now, children, and hear, for it is important all year to be good and kind and to keep in mind that Krampus is always to fear.
0: Oh. My. Goodness. (laughs) Is that our first rhyming poem? Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) Ah, Tracy,
1: expertly done. Oh, thank you. I don't know why I did that to myself. I made... It I don't even I don't even know enough about actual poetry things to know what that rhyme scheme is called. It's like an
0: A-A-B-C-C-B. Yeah, that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh a lot of rhymes.com for me this week. But it was really Oh I love fun. that website. Mm. Life saving. That was fun to do. I don't it was like, like, you did <laughs> so well. That is <laughs> exactly
0: you. the Christmas children's story idea. You gave me some Grinch feelings, mm-hmm. which you know that guy doesn't come from nowhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, and you also captured that uh, Victorian idea
1: of uh, of Christmas being a little scary. It's a little spooky. December. Listen, when you live in a time without electricity, December. <laughs> It's cold and it's dark. I would say the night is still dark and full of terrors. (laughs) Yes, that is still the truth. 100%.
0: So I don't think nearly everyone is quite as familiar with Krampus as us spooky folk are. so, So teach us a thing or two. All right.
1: So when you think of the antithesis to Saint Nick, the foil to this bright character, the antagonist to that jolly fellow... What would spring to mind? Tracy when she's cold. Yes. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Tiny and angry. I thought that was a real question. <laughs> so, what I'm hearing though is that it is not a half demon, half goat. That's not the first thing that pops into your head as like the anti Santa.
0: I would say you are half demon, but there is no goat for sure.
1: So. For sure, for sure. Yeah. So, we're 50% there. <laughs> It's as we always say, Rowan, history provides. And today, history provides us with a creature that's half demon, half goat, all fun. It's Krampus, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Although Krampus is less of an antagonist to Santa and is instead, like I said, more of that bad cop to the Santa Jolly Good Cop. Bad cop, Jolly Cop? Yeah, bad cop, Jolly Cop. <laughs> <laughs> that famous duo. <laughs> <laughs> everyone's favorite cliche Uh, bad cop jolly cop
0: did you ever think about the fact that we write stories every week and this is who we are bad cop job like bad cop jolly cop is a phrase that came out of your brain
1: yeah and it is also the hallmark movie i want
0: oh my god
1: i want it to star the rock
0: as the jolly cop or the bad cop
1: i don't care man i want it all babe
0: I wanted to star The Rock and Anna Kendrick. I want The Rock to be the Jolly Cop and Anna Kendrick to be
1: the Bad Cop. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I need this. Bad Cop, Jolly Cop, Anna Kendrick, The Rock. Jack Black is there. Who knows why? We'll find out. Ooh, he's Mrs. Claus. Ooh, I was thinking an elf. Oh, okay, Elf, sure. You know what? He can be everyone. Kristen Chenoweth. Kristen Chenoweth is Mrs. Claus.
0: <gasps> <guys>. and, and wait, wait, hold on. We can't do this movie without Dolly Parton, who is <gasps> the spirit of the Christmas. Spirit of- yes! <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, ne- Netflix, come over here. Let's go. Let's make this movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Krampus... <laughs> Krampus can be found in Austria, Bavaria, Croatia, Czech Republic, Hungary, Slovenia, and northern Italy. Though his presence has spread beyond even just those regions, he punishes bad children who have misbehaved while Santa doles out gifts to the good kids. To quote an article from History.com that has probably my favorite opening sentence ever written, Krampus and St. Nick's other bad boys have their origins in pagan celebrations of the winter solstice. Later, they became part of Christian traditions in which St. Nicholas visited children to reward them on December 5th or 6th. Around that time, his menacing partner would also visit kids to punish them. In Alpine Austria and some parts of Germany, this day was known as Krampusnacht, or Krampus Night. When adults might dress up as Krampus to frighten children at their homes.
0: Do we ever wonder why kids are mental little squiggles of beings when we give them <laughs> <laughs>
1: nights in which a demon is gonna come and visit them? Yeah, once you survive Krampus knocked, then you can get presents. Can we talk about how this started out by calling Krampus the bad, St. Nick's bad boy? Because I want that Christmas sweater. Oh, can you imagine? But
0: boy, B-O-I.
1: Yeah, bad boy. <laughs> Krampus is described as a half-goat, half-demon with a long, pointed tongue, horns, dark hair, fangs, and a long, pointed tail. According to Nat Geo, Krampus's name is derived from the German word krampen, meaning claw, and he, he is said to be the son of hell in Norse mythology. The legendary beast also shares characteristics with other scary demonic creatures in Greek mythology, including satyrs and fauns. Because, as we've said on this podcast many times, stories have a way of spanning across cultures and time, and Krampus is no different.
0: I am not asking this to be ironic in any way, but are many Christian demons not already goat-like? Mm-hmm. So what is the point of saying he is both goat-like and demonic? What is the other characteristic?
1: He's often depicted with one cloven foot and one human foot. Excuse me? Yeah. Yeah. I can't explain it beyond that, but he is. Uh, And he's got the body of a man, but goat horns and a tail and a long, like, triangular-shaped tongue. So if he
0: (laughs) comes from hell in Norse mythology, which is frankly brilliant, Mm -hmm. was he pre-Christian? Oh, very much so. Yes. Okay. And was he... I guess I, I should clarify my question. Was he pre-christian and evil or was he made evil later you know like we discussed Mm -hmm. with frau halla
1: um from what i could tell as long as he's been krampus he's Mm. been a mischievous he he messes with children he's been deeply tied with saint nick so usually krampus will come on the fifth torment you, and then on the 6th, you'll wake up with either, like, a birch branch in your shoe, you leave, I'll get to this later, but you leave a shoe out, or you have, like, a piece of candy. But if Saint Nick
0: is born of Christian belief, then did Krampus exist pre-Christian and get absorbed?
1: I think so. I think he, and I couldn't find anything on this, but from my understanding, he was... Probably an entirely different creature based on Mm. something pre Christian, and then was brought in as the Krampus that we know, but was always tied in with a sort of pagan feel. And actually, that caused a lot of problems for this figure throughout history because Christianity at some point came in and said, absolutely not. And then we'll see some governments came in and said, Absolutely not. But people said, absolutely, yes. We love our sweet demon boy. Why
0: am I not shocked that it was hard for you to find information about a folkloric figure that sits in the pocket of being neither Christian Mm
1: -hmm. in origin
0: nor Greek?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I found good resources this week. I was finding Smithsonian, Nat Geo, history, finding articles, and still... Ah, it's kind of that same bucket of information. Like, there's a good, rich amount of information, but it doesn't go a lot deeper.
0: Yeah, I, I felt the same way about Saint Nick. There's there's the same information left, right, and center. Yes. Similar with Jack Frost. Similar with Brownies, frankly. This whole kind of winter idea. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. All right, so... Talk to me about this demon. The legend of Saint Nick and Krampus are likely centuries old... Christmas celebrations in these alpine regions usually started in early December. This started as a celebration of St. Nicholas, the patron saint of children, whose saint's day falls in early December. According to folklore, on the night of December 5th, Krampus shows up with his empty sack ready to be filled with naughty children. He then either chases those children around, possibly whipping or beating them with a birch stick, or he drags them down into hell. Depends on the legend, and quite possibly his mood. (laughs) This event is known as Krampusnacht, or Krampus Night. In modern-day celebrations, you might see people in the streets dressed as Krampus and attempting to spook each other and children. Or they might just be drinking and wearing goat horns. I'm sorry to do this, but if
0: the sack is still a trash bag, and you're filling it with naughty children, can children be recycled?
1: I imagine the bag is sort of like a uh, mix between a bag of holding and a portal. So kind of recycling. <laughs> <A> I'll <little> bet. <bad. laughs> Mental Floss has a quote that I couldn't resist sharing about how wild this Krampus celebration can get. Quote, The Krampus of legend whips people with his birch bundle, but he's a literal demon. Surely the costumed human Krampus partiers wouldn't engage in such violence, right? Wrong. Here's a description of the Salzburg Krampuslauf, from a tourist who expected mere costumed buffoonery, and came home with welts. The narrow streets in the Old City section of Salzburg were packed with pedestrians as the Krampusse stomped through. Many people were caught unaware and reacted with terror. Some would flee and try to seek refuge in a shop or a restaurant, only to be pursued by a determined Krampus. With so many easy targets, we again managed to escape, largely unharmed. At times, we were chased, jostled, and struck, but compared with the brutality we witnessed, it was obvious we had been spared the full brunt of what Krampus could muster. This writer went to Krampusloffs in three cities and described savage beatings to people's thighs and shins, as well as a Krampus chasing down and sitting on a teenager. But despite the fear and bruises, it's all in good fun. And hey, at least they aim for the legs. End quote.
0: Yes. Stop it with these soft winter holidays of hugs and cheer. And that's your my reaction was like, you couldn't pay me.
1: You couldn't pay me to go to this situation.
0: If you want presents, you have to be ready. You have to fight for I it. I don't
1: need a drunk man slapping my legs with a stick. I don't need it. <laughs> you don't just get presents. You have to earn presents. That's true. You got to earn it. <laughs> so let's say you survive knocked. You earn your present. The day after this event is December 6th. It's Nicholas Tag or Nicholas Day when children look outside to see if the shoe or boot that they left outside has a gift. Usually it has a small item or a candy cane inside of it. If you survived Krampus knocked but you weren't particularly good, Saint Nick will leave a rod or a birch branch in your shoe to let you know you've been bad.
0: I'm so sorry I can. not <laughs> If you survive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you, a child of five, Mm -hmm. survive Mm -hmm. December 5th, you may get a candy cane in your shoe. Hey,
1: (laughs) keep those expectations as low as the boot on your ground. It's Krampus knocked. You got to make it through. You're going to love that candy cane. You're going to savor that candy cane. It's going to be the best candy cane you've ever had.
0: This is the holiday in which we weed out the weaklings.
1: (laughs) So the Smithsonian states that this year, Krampus' scheduled arrival in the Alpine towns that celebrate him coincides with an influx of refugees from Syria and Afghanistan. Though the festival is well-loved, it gave rise to concerns that the new neighbors might be scared of the tradition and its nightmare-fueling costumes. Rather than canceling the parade, town officials decided to educate the newcomers. The Telegraph's Rosina Sabur writes that refugee children in Lienz were invited to a presentation where they learned about the props, costumes, and customs of Krampus. Sagers likes the idea of introducing Krampus to refugees in Austria. Quote, I think it's wonderful that they want to get the refugees used to this sort of thing, he says. You can't force people to adopt cultural traditions of which they have no basis or point of reference. End quote. I wanted to include that little bit of wholesomeness in the middle of uh, drunken leg beatings, because as crazy as the celebration is, I think it's really it's really important that the people who celebrate it are trying to bring others in and show them the fun of it and the joy of it and recognize that it could be not joyful if you don't understand what's happening. It's
0: not a great pitch. It really isn't. Come not. to a holiday we will beat you with a stick and if you
1: survive we'll
0: put something yummy in your stinky shoe
1: can you imagine sitting a bunch of kids down and go like okay everyone today we're gonna talk about krampus he is a half goat half demon stay sitting no 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 we're not no no, no just sit okay he does have horns and teeth and and a big tongue calm down we're not even at the bad part yet like <laughs> can you just imagine
0: you forgot the hi, welcome to our country. <laughs> Here's how it's going to be from now on, every year.
1: <laughs> yep. Listen, people get drunk and have fun. It's 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 like the it's the alpine version of Santa Con in New York.
0: <laughs> it is a large gathering of people during the winter, if that's the comparison, then yes, both of those no, things are a lot of drinking is involved.
1: Drinking and food is also involved in both situations. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so that same article says that during the 12th century, the Catholic Church attempted to banish Krampus celebrations because of his resemblance to the devil. More eradication attempts followed in 1934 at the hands of Austria's conservative Christian Social Party, but none of it held and Krampus emerged as a much-feared and beloved holiday force. Listen, you love him, you hate him, you love to hate him. It gets better and better. We're going <laughs> to beat you if you survive the holiday force. Yeah. He's not a good guy. He's just, he's the bad cop to Santa's Jolly Cop.
0: <laughs> bad cop Jolly Cop is the name of the episode. You know that, right? Right.
1: Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) So Nat Geo further explains that Krampus has been having a resurgence over the past few years, thanks partly to a bah humbug attitude in pop culture, with people searching for ways to celebrate the Yuletide season in non-traditional ways. In the United States, people are embracing the dark side of Christmas with Krampus movies, special Krampus television episodes. They're throwing Krampus parties, attending local Krampus knocks in cities like Washington, D.C. and New Orleans, and running in Krampus-themed races. He's getting popular.
0: I'm not surprised. I love (laughs) him. I think he's scary as all heck, but I love him.
1: In Austria, you will now see figurines or even chocolates of the demonic Christmas creature, though some feel that Krampus has grown too commercialized and has thus lost his edge. (laughs) but it's true people people are mad it's like he's too popular you can't have him he's not i don't know he's not cool anymore he's not he's
0: the emo kid of holiday figures
1: if you like him he's not cool anymore (laughs) yeah and there's other i didn't go into this but there's other creatures like krampus in the sense of the quote-unquote bad cop to santa's jolly cop that have not gotten as popular as Krampus. So I think people are mad that like why isn't the French one getting popular? Why is why are you taking Krampus from us? We knew him before he was cool. <laughs> okay, hipsters. Yeah. In Austria, you can pick up a cheap pair of horns from a store, but that's not really in the Krampus spirit. Traditionally, Krampus masks are made of wood and hand carved by artisans. And antique masks have made their way into museums. So, Rowan, for now, I'll leave it up to you to decide how you feel about this demon and his growing popularity and commercialization.
0: Well, I mean, commercialization does take the fun out of a lot of things. Do I think it's awesome that a winter holiday that is not as specifically Christian is getting some... uh publicity? That's cool. Uh, Do I think beating people with sticks is ideal?
1: I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, a drunken Krampus knock is not in the cards for me. Do I love the idea of Krampus? Do I love looking at people's Krampus costumes? Absolutely. Yes, I do. There are some absolutely insane things that people have made or bought or created to dress up as Krampus.
0: As the person who was not long ago defending the demon Lilith, I am also going to say I think it's pretty cool that a demon
1: is getting the love that he deserves. And I love that he's not a villain in this story, really. I mean, like, he's not the... And anti-Santa. He's not fighting... He and Santa are on the same team, babe. It's up to you. Which one are you going to meet? It's true. Santa did give him permission.
0: Mm-hmm. Santa's letting this happen. Yeah. Yeah. The coal element in Christmas, or I guess birch beatings, that whole kind of corner of Christmas is a little bit daunting. That wasn't a thing in my household. Was coal an option for you?
1: I mean, not really. But as a little kid, I do remember... The drama of one of our friends, who was objectively a very difficult child, getting coal. <gasps> and then a bunch of presents. Like, a bunch of presents, but first she opened up coal.
0: Oh, that's a little bit. That
1: ruins the effect. Yeah, but as a little kid, we talked about it for weeks.
0: I think you have to commit. If you're gonna give your child coal, it's it's coal only. You guys, this is why I'm not a parent. <laughs>
1: I think there are better ways to communicate with your child that they
0: clearly, clearly. (laughs) But if we've gotten to the point that coal is even on the table, it's Mm -hmm. an all-or-nothing deal.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But no, in in my household, coal was okay. One, in my household, coal was not really an option. Two, I am terrified of authority and. Absolutely follow rules So I don't think I was ever really afraid <laughs> Yeah, you were never in danger Of getting cold in your stocking No, I uh, not once, not never No
0: <sighs> But if the option is Cold or getting beaten with a stick
1: Okay You're making it sound A lot more brutal <laughs> than I think it is You
0: know what? No I'm not ruling that out Maybe today it's not that brutal But way, way back You know, spankings were not the end-all (laughs) be-all.
1: You're right. (laughs) All right, there's one last thing I want to talk about, and that's Krampus cards. Something that we have not really had the opportunity to talk about on this show as much as I would love to are the traditional Victorian Christmas cards. It was a common Victorian tradition to send morbid Christmas cards, which is so willing and fable energy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Some historians think it was meant to serve as a reminder of the poor and hungry during the season, and while this makes sense for some of the cards with, say, a dead robin on it, it does not really explain the cards that show things such as a frog dancing with a beetle under the sunlight. That one we just can't explain. <laughs> By 1860, sending Christmas cards had become a popular tradition, and cards were printed in large numbers in Britain. By 1870, the cost of posting Christmas cards had dropped to half a penny, encouraging more members of Victorian society to send cards. While early versions of Christmas cards did often portray happy families in the snow, later on the Victorians decided that a more morbid sense of humor was appropriate for the season. By the late 1800s, we see images of Krampus stealing children or Santa himself stalking children outside the house. I
0: think we should note here that this overlaps very clearly with the early depictions of Santa Claus that were becoming popular.
1: Yes, at this point in time, Santa was not a figure set in stone. His appearance was not clear cut. His Role in the holiday itself was still a little bit fuzzy, and you see that reflected in the holiday cards of that time. They are so wildly all over the place.
0: There was also a time when a couple people, uh, some people, tried to make Santa Claus tinier, like a house elf Mm -hmm. from that tradition. And there was also a period where Santa Claus was thin. Yes. Let that settle in your brain
1: Thin, and if I remember, I've seen pictures of him thin and in a blue coat with, like, white stars on it.
0: Blue, yes. Blue. Mm-hmm. Well, the white stars, I think, was star-spangled Santa. <laughs> <laughs> but th- there were all kinds of outfits for him that were not this
1: hard and fast red coat white fur. hmm To quote the same article from before... These holiday cards weren't meant to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Ones marked "Gruss vom Krampus, greetings from Krampus, showed Krampus stuffing a distressed child into his satchel or preparing to hit one with his bundle of birch sticks. Many of these postcards depicted Krampus going after children with his sticks, leading them away in chains, or carrying them off in his bag. There were also cards that were a little bit more adult. Krampus' cards in the early 20th century show him punishing children, yes, but also proposing to women. In some cards, Krampus is portrayed as a large woman whipping tiny men with her birch sticks and carrying them off in her satchel. In another, a smiling woman dangles a defeated-looking Krampus in the air, holding his bundle of birch sticks behind her back you can draw your own conclusions about the gender politics in these. End quote. How amazing is that? Ugh, oh, it
0: proud hag. It's proud hag energy. Proud hag energy. The
1: idea that there were Victorian women, or early 20th century, so Edwardian women, simping for Krampus, <laughs> is everything to me. Goth culture is not new, and also goth
0: culture... Markedly began with Frankenstein But it existed before that hmm We need to find a place that does Collections of Victorian Christmas cards printed That you can buy So we can mail them Thither and yon Oh, yeah
1: I think there's places on Etsy that sell them You have a mission <laughs> They are amazing I love them so much So from now on I will only be accepting Krampus-themed holiday cards Please and thank you Me too. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I had for you on Krampus. He's so interesting, so spooky, so dark. He's the monster Christmas boyfriend you didn't know you needed. Now that
0: we've presented two options for your holiday season, you get a choice. Wholesome Santa in a pickup truck or a devil beating you with a bundle of birch sticks. Half goat, half devil. He's got horns. with two different feet.
1: He does have two different feet. <laughs> that's a real put off for me. The different feet is weird. I'm trying to process that that's your line. <laughs> you looked at everything from horns to teeth to long pointed tongue to tail to the weird goat legs. And we're like, yup, 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 yup. check, check, on board, totally fine, got it. Ooh, asymmetrical feet. That's not it, bro. I'm out. I'm not here for that.
0: Well, one could say some of those things have benefits that come with them. The feet from two different species? Couldn't think of a one. I... Uh Uh-huh, try. What's the downside, though? You
1: know... Being deeply unsettling? Again, it's just... I'm just coming to terms with the fact that you looked at Horns and went... Not... I'm... I'm
0: confused why you think it's horrible (laughs) that I'm drawing the line at different feet.
1: I just think it's funny. I think it's so funny that you're like, yes. (laughs) Creepy Christmas boyfriend on board. On board, he walks in, takes off his large boots, and you're like, "Mm -hmm, I'm out the (laughs) door, baby. Not for me.
0: (laughs) That's where I stand. I'm I'm putting it out there. (laughs)
1: Listen, y'all, if you want to be... The Krampus of Rowan's dreams. Gotta have the same feet.
0: Oh, no. (laughs) Tracy. (laughs) Yeah. Tell me something good. (laughs) This is the
1: last one of the year, no pressure. I know. I have been thinking about this all last night, all day today, because I wanted it to be something so good and so meaningful. I mean, you have one option, really,
0: and I'm not going to tell you what it is until after you mess it up.
1: <laughs> I'm going to be seeing Rowan soon. Aww.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're so right.
1: No. <laughs> let, me, let me check some things off. going to be saying, seeing Rowan soon. We did a podcast <laughs> together. I'm so proud of us. Uh, my real one was that I'm enjoying Baldur's Gate. How'd I do? <laughs> Oh, my
0: God. (laughs) Okay, you were doing so well. It was so wholesome. It had holiday energy. It made my heart feel warm and fuzzy, and then you replaced me with Baldur's Gate.
1: Not replace.
0: Enhanced. You know, you were on me about the different feet, and then you're coming in like, (laughs) video games are better than you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take those Uh, words. You took those words, put them in your hands, and shoved them in my (laughs) my mouth. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, uh, God. Listen, we have too much fun together. You do. I do. I do genuinely love doing this podcast with you. I'm so proud of us. I'm proud of the work that we've done. Baldur's Gate is so much fun.
0: Yeah, I know. I just set you up to be a goofball um i didn't know that you were really gonna go for it but uh talk to me about baldur's gate because i do not play and i'm interested you would
1: like it i think you would really like it you're not a huge video game person but it is it's D the video game it's by wizards Ooh. of the coast it's Ooh. it's 5e it's d it's 5e D. you get to make your own character uh i am playing a half elf ranger you know i love me some character customization Dragon Age Inquisition is my favorite video game of all time. It's got a similar, a somewhat similar energy to that. It's so much fun. The NPCs in your party are so fun to interact with. They're such complex characters. So right now it's early release. So it's pretty buggy. And it's in kind of a, it's post beta testing, but it's still early release. So they only have the first act out. Um, even with all of that, highly recommend it. It's so much fun.
0: I've been reading articles about some of the bugs and people goofing on them, but past that, past the theoretical articles I've read, I don't know anything. Is it uh, it a thing that I could play with someone or no?
1: No. I think there Mm. is a multiplayer option, but I haven't looked into it. I've been playing the kind of single player story mode.
0: Yeah, I just, I need human interaction, even virtual human interaction. In my in my games, that's what I'm craving lately. Probably 2020
1: energy, you know, strong 2020 energy. So, Rowan, mm-hmm. you have one right option. Okay, tell me something good.
0: Well, it's definitely not you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's passing it
0: with flying colors, everyone. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, I am proud of us, and <laughs> I'm very proud of us. <laughs> yeah. Because we did the darn thing. And, um,
1: you know I love you madly. Oh, you know I, th- I think you're all right. Thank you. I don't know if I'm committed to this friendship yet. I'm still in beta testing. Neg me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, go on.
0: You know that I can't make that my something good. Because it's too
1: good. We have an upper limit on this? <laughs> 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 that's 2020 energy
0: <laughs> things can be good but they can't be too good or mm-hmm. something bad is gonna happen mm-hmm. okay but my real something good from this week is that damsels dice and everything nice has officially moved to pixel circus and we got to have our big holiday episode to celebrate that and it is oh so nice to be back playing D with all the girls, I love it madly. It is just so fun. And Kaylee's the best DM because if something's fun enough, she lets us do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that rule of cool. And Cinderella is an arcane trickster rogue. And I love playing that. And I, she lost in a battle royale recently that she should not have lost in. And <laughs> mm. I, uh, I got to come back real good. In the yeah. next episode in the new year to make up for it. Yeah. Redemption arc. Yeah. But it's just so nice. It's such a wholesome, fun, good time. I love playing D d in all the many games that I'm in. <laughs> you are in a lot.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm so happy that Damsels is back. I-, I personally missed it. I always like to jump in on the streams and watch. And I'm excited that it's back. And on Pixel Circus, which you guys if you guys somehow haven't checked out awesome channel with really fun shows
0: yeah pixel circus a it's a great place to be and work because everybody on the channel is genuinely cool and Mm -hmm. kind and fun to be around but also there are so many good things coming in the new year i'm really excited for one time on the internet which is the other show that i'm in that starts up in january Mm -hmm. (laughs) because i'm a i'm a glutton for research so i have a research podcast and there will be a research stream
1: yeah you're gonna be losing your dang mind
0: huh or i'll be smarter
1: (laughs) hey they're not mutually (laughs) exclusive (laughs) Ah. (laughs)
0: so look at us we've arrived to the last episode of the season and If this episode has made you think of a child in your life that loves Santa Claus, we wanted to pass along two fun things that might brighten up their quarantine Christmas.
1: The first is the NORAD Santa Tracker. The North American Aerospace Defense Command is an American and Canadian organization that monitors, controls, and protects North American airspace. To quote their website, The modern tradition of tracking Santa began in 1955, when a young child accidentally dialed the unlisted phone number of the Conad Operations Center upon seeing a newspaper advertisement telling kids to call Santa. The director of operations, Colonel Harry Shoup, answered the phone and instructed his staff to check the radar for indications of Santa, making his way south from the North Pole. Every year, My family will send each other updates while we're hanging out on Christmas Eve about where Santa is. It is one of our favorite things to do. We look it up every year and announce where he is to each other like every hour.
0: It's really a fun time. And was it Ireland where they made the official announcement that Santa didn't have to quarantine? I think it was New Zealand. Was it? I don't remember. I just remember watching the video and <laughs> loving that this government official mm-hmm. was delivering a very, a very official announcement about how Santa didn't have to quarantine to kind of just integrate him into yes. the real world. It was so cool. And I really think. Where was that? I don't know, but I think that the Santa tracker is a part of that. Mm-hmm. It's so fun to watch. The second thing that we wanted to tell you guys about is the official post address of the big man himself as sponsored by our amazing friends at the USPS. It is so cool that they do this. Directions for sending the letter from the child to Santa and how to get a response as well as the website for the Santa Tracker are the first two links in this week's show notes. At Willing and Fable, we truly truly believe in the magic of storytelling, and we hope that these tools, as well as the information from our entire season, allows you to keep the world's exceptional stories
1: alive. So everyone, thank you so much for listening to our first season of Willing and Fable. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend or tell a foe. And
0: we'll see you soon. Okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willinginfable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.